This is an ABC podcast. If you're in a regional area and you're not allowed to drive, that may mean that you can't live in the home that you've been all your life. Surrendering a driver's licence can mean complete loss of freedom for people living with dementia in regional areas. In Victoria, there are growing calls to support those who've received a diagnosis. And 20 years ago, a group of young boys from Wilcannia recorded a song that caught the nation's attention. Each of those boys wanted to give their own expressions about their lives, fishing and jumping and swimming, which is their culture. How the Wilcannia mob left a legacy for Indigenous hip-hop artists. I'm Alex Hyman and this is Australia Wide. More than 700 Australians have been recognised in the Australia Day 2023 honours list for their contribution to the nation. The late Indigenous elder and songwriter Archie Roach is being remembered today as a poet, musician, activist and a companion of the Order of Australia. The late Gunditjmara Bunjalong musician was celebrated today in southwest Victoria at a reflection ceremony in Port Ferry. Our reporter Kira Gillespie was there. A crowd of hundreds gathered around the Port Ferry Indigenous Massacre Monument this morning, just a stone's throw from Roach's home, to reflect on the history of the region. A close friend of Roach's, Gowana frontman Shane Howard, says he wishes Archie was here to accept the award he received today, the companion of the Order of Australia. I miss him terribly. Beautiful, beautiful philosopher, poet, a beautiful thinker. And uh, what a legacy he has left this country, what an inspiration. There probably aren't enough awards to give him, really. Shane Howard and Archie Roach's friendship was a deep and lifelong one. They were neighbours, collaborators and advocates together. Archie, dear brother Archie, he and I used to often talk about our role as artists, that we, our job was to be on the bridge and that our generation built bridges to one another from from Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people. It's a hard place to be on the bridge, yeah, between worlds, but now that those bridges are being built, our children, our grandchildren can cross them freely and that's our hope, that's our desire. Archie was taken as a child from the Framlingham Aboriginal Mission near Warrnambool in southwest Victoria. Howard was born and raised in this part of the world and with Archie has been sharing the true history of the region and what happened to Indigenous peoples when the area was colonised. This was the highest concentration of massacre sites in Australia in the colonial era. Peak Wurrung elder Uncle Rob Lowe Senior says he remembers the day Archie was taken from the Framlingham mission. We know the truth because we've seen it. We witnessed how the authorities push families apart. And now the great Archie Roach has passed on, was taken. We need to tell those truths and people need to understand that it still affects us as Indigenous people. He says the history needs to be told for generations to come. Somehow, somehow we've got to make this a right. That we all live in this particular country as one. And let's walk as one. And understand each other's as one, not individuals. And I think our future for the younger generation will have a better understanding 
what everyone was trying to achieve. Archie Roach's niece, Tracy Roach, says she's proud of her uncle's service to the performing arts and to Indigenous rights and reconciliation. She says the family will continue to honour his legacy through the Archie Roach Foundation. My biggest sadness is that uncle's not here today to receive that award. But um, the family are so proud. We couldn't be more proud. He didn't do this to get awards. He didn't expect to be awarded for these things. He did it because that, that's who he was, Archie Roach. One dark day on Framlingham Came and didn't give a damn as a songwriter and musician, Uncle Archie was the voice of generations who brought the story of the stolen generations to a broad Australian audience. His biggest song, Took the Children Away, which told his deeply personal story of loss, became the song of healing and truth for generations of stolen children, winning two ARIA awards and a Human Rights Achievement Award. It's particularly special to Tracy Roach. Every time I hear that song, I heal a little bit more, and so does my family, my siblings. Jill Shelton, Roach's longtime friend and manager, says music gave him the will to live through his long illness. I'm absolutely thrilled, and I know he would have been too. Such an acknowledgement of the incredible person and Australian that he was, and everything that he gave through song, through his tireless work in the justice space, for, you know, supporting and mentoring young emerging First Nations artists, Archie. All his health issues was absolutely driven and he was an incredible human being. The award comes six months after his death at age 66. He's here in spirit today and we've got to continue the great legacy that he's left us and continue the struggle until we get a good, just, decent and honourable country that we can all be proud of. That's Shane Howard ending that story from Kira Gillespie in Port Ferry. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide. And you are with me, Alex Hyman. It's great to have your company on this Australia Day. Receiving a dementia diagnosis is a life-changing event that can rock an entire family. Dementia can impact a person's memory, judgment and reasoning skills and language and behaviour, with Alzheimer's disease being the most common form of dementia. Dementia, including Alzheimer's, is the leading cause of death in women in Australia and ranks highly for men too, with the World Health Organisation predicting a dramatic surge in cases by 2050. In Victoria, anyone with a driver's licence who is diagnosed with dementia is required to immediately notify the state's licensing board and undergo a fitness-to-drive assessment at least every 12 months. For city-goers, public transport and taxis are more accessible. But for those living in remote or rural areas, losing a driver's licence can make life incredibly challenging. Lexi Junowick reports. Cathy Roth knows firsthand the daunting challenge Alzheimer's presents. Her husband John was diagnosed with the disease in 2014, painfully heralding the end of his career as a surgeon and as a driver. He um, made the decision himself that he wouldn't drive. He wasn't asked to do it. And his comment was, I don't want my grandchildren to be in danger or any other grandchildren to be in danger. Cathy quickly transitioned into the role of chauffeur to get John from A to B in their hometown of Geelong, around an hour southwest of Melbourne. She continues to do so with the support of loved ones from time to time. I know that 
if I needed to, I could call upon them. But she's one of the lucky ones. For those without a strong support network in regional and remote areas, the solution isn't so clear. Under Victorian law, any driver diagnosed with dementia or any other medical condition that could impact driving ability must report it to Vic Roads. From there, the authority assesses the person's fitness to drive and can hand out conditional licences that last up to 12 months. Geriatrician Professor Joseph Ibrahim says if the driver's licence is subsequently lost, the impact for rural residents is far greater than in the city. If you stop driving in Melbourne, you don't need to move house. You'll still get services and you'll still be able to come and go. But if you're in a regional area and you're not allowed to drive, that may mean that you can't live in the home that you've been all your life. With the World Health Organisation predicting dementia will triple globally by 2050, Professor Ibrahim says the time is now for the state government to act. We need to be thinking ahead about um, how this is managed. Measures suggested include a dedicated committee within Vic Roads to advocate for regional drivers who have dementia. People that understand regional, rural and know the amount that you've got to travel understand the type of roads and the nature of the roads. A state government spokesperson says it will continue to explore more ways we can support those diagnosed with medical conditions that may impact their ability to drive safely. For Cathy Roth, community has a role to play in providing that support. Following her husband's diagnosis, she started the Professionals with Alzheimer's Support Network, which has members right across Australia. We as communities perhaps need to look around us and see what it is that we can do rather than sit back and wait for others to do it. She says neighbours could share the responsibility of transporting the affected person to social events or appointments. A little bit of ingenuity and kindness can go a long way. We just need to think a little bit outside the square. Cathy Roth ending that story from Lexi Junowick. To the Sunshine Coast now. It's been 12 months since the northern tip of Bribie Island was split in two, leaving parks and beaches vulnerable to erosion, blocking access and even unearthing asbestos fibres long covered by the water. The community wants to know what's going to happen next, but all they're being told is that more change is coming. Sunshine Coast reporter Owen Jarks has more. The breaking of Bribie Island in southeast Queensland a year ago has already turned a deep water passage into a treacherous maze of sandbars. Now that larger swells are reaching the shoreline, it's also unearthed fibres of deadly asbestos. Experts had expected the island to stay together until at least 2040. But this breakup means new currents carrying sand through existing channels, including those used by rescuers. Jerry Jerzak from the volunteer Caloundra Coast Guard says their nearby base once gave them direct access to the ocean for emergencies, but now it's often safer to drive their boats by road to deeper water. With the split from what we're calling North and South Bribie now, the old northern bar is pretty much silted up and is unworkable at most tides below, say below half tide on a good tide. Uh, which means we now have to relocate our vessels uh, further down the passage and use the new bar to get out to the ocean uh, should we re be required outside. The loss of land between the new parts of Bribie Island has left the Golden Beach foreshore vulnerable to swell and higher tides. With the shoreline and parklands being eaten away, 
Long-covered asbestos was discovered embedded in the sand last week. It's a feature of the landfill used to build up the shoreline decades ago. Authorities say new fencing and beach access closures are a precaution and the asbestos is not considered a public health issue. But local cafe owner David D'Ambrosio says many are worried by the warning signs. Monday week ago that tape went up and um, we really felt a big impact on our business in the trading terms. On um, this weekend that just passed, which is the end of the school holidays, it really made an impact and we saw that in our turnover figure here with the cafe because people were coming here getting scared. They saw yellow and it's saying asbestos dust is in the air and um, they, they were actually coming down, doing a UE and I'm not sure if they went up to the other part of, of, of Caloundra or just went home. Jackie Rose has lived in the area for a decade and says rumours are running wild. Some people are saying that it's only a bit of asbestos the size of your palm and then you talk to someone else and said, oh, it's buried asbestos. Nobody really knows what this is all about. But she says she's not too worried, despite the warning signs. Living here for quite a while and also in the area, not just at Golden Beach, never heard of asbestos at a beach. I've heard of um, asbestos being run out of little drains and that, but not on a beach in such a long span, you know, which this is. I hope that the, the council or whoever's responsible tell us what the problem is, how it's going to be resolved, and then everybody will know what's happening. Terry Landsberg is a councillor for the area. The asbestos is obviously moist and damp, and as we know, any you know, asbestos fibres is the actual issue if you breathe them in. So, you know, it's quite safe at this stage for the public. A course of action hasn't been decided yet, with the council and state both waiting on advice from erosion and asbestos experts. But Councillor Landsberg says he hopes they can knock over both issues at the same time. We want to make sure that that area still retains its you know, natural beauty as well. So hopefully you know, it may need small rock wall or maybe concreting or maybe it can be sort of sealed with a, a certain type of wrap. There's no word on how long such an action might take or what new issues might be created by the breaking up of Bribey Island. But after watching the island and the waterways evolve for the past year, Mr Jerzak from the Coast Guard said his team was wondering what a new normal might look like. For us to be landlocked, all we need is the northern bar to close. And then literally we're, we're living on a pond. Owen Jarks with that story from the Sunshine Coast. And staying in Queensland, the mining town of Mount Morgan once supplied clay to one of the richest gold mines in the world. So when local resident Louise Jones struggled to buy some for her, for her pottery, she went digging. After a huge downpour, she unearthed clay in her backyard. Add a do-it-yourself kiln and she's now firing pottery. She's part of a rising social media trend of potters who are interested in digging their own stash of wild clay instead of buying it bagged. Reporter Jasmine Hines caught up with Louise Jones in Mount Morgan to find out more. Being in Mount Morgan, I found that art supplies were hard to find. Sitting in her shed in Mount Morgan, Louise Jones is hand-moulding clay she dug herself. I found in my research of the town, the history of the place, that there used to be clay cabins that used to supply the mine with their clay to make their buildings. So all of the buildings, the historic ones in Mount Morgan, are using a red brick. They are all sourced from this huge clay pit that unfortunately you can no longer access. And so that got me thinking about whether there were clay seams or deposits around the mountain as well. And then I found under my house when it, we had a really big downpour here that there was a lot of sort of sticky muddy clay underneath there and I thought hmm, I wonder 
if I can do something with this. And my eureka moment came when the yellow clay work that I put in there turned out to be red when it was fired, just like the buildings. So what is wild clay? It can be called native clay. It's anything that you might find in your a local stream in your backyard that um, is plastic enough that you can build things with it. If it's dry, it will be a cracked earth appearance, if you've seen that. When it's wet, it'll be sticky and stick to your shoes, like really the thick layers of it. And if you were to pick it up and roll it into your hand into a ball and then into a sausage and bend it in half and it stays in a bend shape, it's got the ability to change shape and hold its shape together and that's what you need when you're going to hand build clay. In regional Australia, some potters are digging because commercially bagged clay either isn't available or it's expensive to order by post. But for people like Brisbane's Kim Ulrich, using wild clay is more about connecting to her local area. It's so varied as well. From suburb to suburb you get different kinds of clay. Ms Ulrich is a co-founder of the social media-based group The Wild Clay Club. It has almost 6,000 members from across Australia and internationally. She started the group with a friend because she couldn't find much information about digging or firing her own clay. Most of the information was American. And in America, there's very much this attitude that wild clay is just terracotta. Like all the information I could find is, oh, you can't dig up your own clay and actually use it for anything. So we started this group to try and get more information together and I wanted to start sharing the Australian perspective. The Australian Ceramics Association says there's a rising number of potters gathering ethically sourced local clay. Here's Executive Officer Vicky Greemer. Potters are interested in the origins of the materials they're using and that's growing. Some people don't want to be using clay that's in plastic bags. They might have found clay on their property and they've thought this would connect me to this place where I'm making my work. So how does Ms Ulrich find her clay? I ask people. I put posted on a Facebook group for gardeners. Gardeners know when they have clay in their yard because they're desperately trying to get rid of it most of the time. And they're quite happy for you to come and take them. I found someone who was digging a pool, so I got some of that. But, you know, I'll just be on the lookout because it is really everywhere. That's Wild Clay Club co-founder Kim Ulrich speaking to Jasmine Hines. This is ABC Australia Wide. And finally here on Australia Wide, let's head to far western New South Wales to Will Kenya, where 20 years ago a group of local boys became trailblazers for Indigenous hip-hop music in Australia when they started the Will Kenya mob. They came together during a school holiday youth workshop and wrote and recorded a song about their lives in Will Kenya. <laughs> Now, no one thought it was necessarily going to be a hit, but Australia and eventually the world paid attention when the Wilcannia Mobs track Down River was heard on radios around the country in 2002. From Wilcannia reporter Yusuf Saudi has the story. They were five regular kids from the remote town of Wilcannia in far west New South Wales. But they became trailblazers for Indigenous hip-hop music in Australia. We were just us, being us. Yeah, typical young people growing up, down the river every day, and present around on our push bikes. This is Colroy Johnson, one of the last members from the band who still lives in Wilcannia. He's a Barkindji man and was just 10 years old when the Wilcannia mob kicked off together. I don't want to fight, I want to run the park. 
kind of feels like it was only like just yesterday and now look at me 30 years of age where has the time gone like three daughters of my own yeah beautiful partner that I, and i love them for the world so how did the wilcannia mob start up it began at a community outreach project through Shopfront Theatre to give vulnerable youth opportunities. People from across the state, including Google Yalunji and Wapabara man Brendan Adams, came to the Outback Town to help run the program. I was a dancer in Sydney and there was a project come up with Wilkenya. They were going through a lot of youth issues, but there was also at that time petrol sniffing in remote communities throughout Australia was very high and they wanted to bring some positive programs to Wilkenya. It was here at this program that the boys came together. The Wilkenya Mob was born, Brennan Adams became their band manager, and they released their song, Down River. Each of those boys wanted to give their own expressions about their lives, fishing and jumping and swimming, which is their culture, their identity, and that's why we came here, was to emerge and make them feel proud about who they are and their identity. At the time, I felt like I was being recognised by not just the community, by like right around Far West. Then the song got hits, big hits. It was a group of young boys from the tiny New South Wales From placing number 51 in Triple J's Hottest 100 for 2002, to winning Single of the Year at the 2003 Deadly Awards. First of all, we'd like to thank everyone who supported us and voted for us, and all our family who was watching. Hip-hop performer Morgan Smith, also known as Morganics, was part of putting the band together. He says their music had a lasting impact. Back then, there wasn't any Indigenous hip-hop being played on radio, full stop, anywhere in Australia, really because there wasn't much being made as such. It was such early days. And once they came out, then I think a lot of other Indigenous people, full stop, would be fair enough to hear it and go, yo, I can, I can relate, <laughs> yeah, that, that's cool. I can tell my story now, I can do my thing. It sort of gives a sort of, if they can do it, I can do it. In 2007, their song was discovered by British rapper M.I.A which led to a collaboration called Mango Pickle Down River. Morganics put the grungy and home-recorded song together and it featured on MIA's album, Colour. What's most important about is it opened ears and minds to possibilities of like, wow, we can take hip-hop and we can use hip-hop to tell our stories. And they did that. The Wakanya mob spread Barkindji culture across the world since their music, there have been adaptations of the Wilcannia mob through other community projects. Strong future, strong river, strong but after all these achievements, there was a lack of future support for the band, and it was hard to continue making music in 2003. So what's next for young people in remote areas when it comes to further opportunities in the arts? Is there enough? Brendan Adams says it can be difficult for Indigenous people in remote areas to find and pursue opportunities. We need to find the opportunities to bring the resources to remote communities because our culture is looking after our mob. But what, when you do that, you miss your own opportunities. Brendan reckons there should be more done from the government. Because the moment you focus and invest in our young people, you will build them to be their leaders and what you also do is then you'll start breaking down those problems that we face, the chronic illness that we've got because 
You live better, you, you got pride, you eat healthier, you provide for your family and you'll start breaking cycles. Colroy Johnson's passion for music is still in his heart and he wishes the Wulkanya mob was still together creating music. I wish I can go back. Carry on and pick up where we left off and not feeling like we were set up to be failed. We should have kept our group together and maybe we could have been on top. But if we ever haven't got an opportunity to start that group again and I'm 100% all in. Colroy says there's a lot of hidden talent in Wakanya. To all uh, young, younger people out there, never, never give up on your dreams. Seize your moment, keep pushing, keep paddling your canoe, never give up. Keep paddling your canoe. That's great advice. From Wilcannia, that's our reporter Yusuf Saudi looking at the influence of the Wilcannia mob and they'll be pleased to know we still sing downriver in my house. I can't believe it's been 20 years. And that is Australia Wide for this Australia Day. Remember, you can podcast the show or listen back to the program through the ABC Listen app. I'm Alex Hyman. I'll be uh, back again with you next week with Sinead Mangan. Cheerio. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.